told about celebrating. And you know what we say, what gets celebrated gets repeated. Do we want to see all mankind free? Yes or no? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Well, we're preaching the gospel, and that's what ultimately frees people to the very core and uh, the answer to all the world's problems, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, and we're going to preach that every week here. Today we have some special preachers, and let me just tell you the story before I introduce the first one. You've probably heard by now. Today we have four men in our church that are going to preach. That's a result of the men's leadership class, which uh, was the first four months of 2021, about 16 weeks. Uh, 30 men signed up, and this was a very high bar, high challenge, high calling kind of a, a thing. And uh, 30 men came, and it was great. Uh, 25 finished all of the requirements, which is a very high number for such a high bar. Part of, of the extension of that, I do. I want to read one statistic that just shows how, how blessed this whole experience was by God. Of the 30 men surveyed at the end of the experience, I asked, rate, okay, here's the question I surveyed. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your proficiency as of spiritual leadership before and then after this experience. So proficiency of spiritual leadership. The total uh, of circled before the class averaged out to 5.79, and at the end of the four months, 8.0. Isn't that a testimony of the sense of spiritual growth and leadership of these men? As a final challenge, everybody was challenged to take one step further out of your comfort zone from what you've done in teaching the Word of God. And these four men took this level of challenge, and I'm pleased to introduce the first one. And after he's finished, I'll come and introduce the second one. The first one up today is Zach Stichter. He's no uh, stranger to many of you. The Stichters have been pillars in this church for some time. And uh, I know we have some very pleased, joyful parents right over there that are ready, ready for this experience, because it, it is a joy when your children uh, walk with Christ in the truth, isn't it? Uh, the sermon notes Chris has, he's ready. I would like, I would encourage you all to, to have a copy. So he's got sermon notes and pens. Zach's is on one side, and the next guy's is on the other side. Uh, Zach is a fine young man that shows great leadership abilities, qualities. He has been one of my kids' main and loved teachers every Wednesday night. I've appreciated that. And then he has stepped up to lead the Father's Heart Ministry here at Community Grace, which is fostering and adoption uh, support and teaching. And now he's going to be adding preaching to his resume. Would you please give him a warm welcome as he brings the word to us today? Come on up, Zach. Wow. Uh, good morning. Thanks, everybody. Um, on May 21st, 1945, the 77th U.S. Infantry retreated from a cliff in Okinawa, Japan. After taking massive casualties, about 100 men in a unit of 155, commanders decided to cut their losses and make a costly retreat. That night, though, something incredible happened. One man, alone, ran into the thick of battle. This one man brought back nearly 75 of those injured Americans and lowered them down the cliff to safety. You see, Desmond Doss was a person just like you or I, but he was willing to make tough choices. Doss was a conscientious objector, so he went into the whole war without a weapon, but he wasn't unarmed. He's quoted to have prayed out loud, Lord, please let me get one more after lowering each and every man to safety. You see, sometimes our lives feel like battlegrounds, just like that one. 
On one hand, we have the devil tempting us to sin. On the other, the world glorifies sin and idolatry and throws it in our faces. And to top it all off, our flesh wants to sin. But let's see what the Bible has to say about this. Turn with me to 2 Kings 18. Hezekiah, king of Judah, faced these issues head on in his day. At the time, Israel and Judah were pursuing all sorts of idolatry and witchcraft. They dedicated high places to worship false gods and to falsely worship the one true God. And they were worshiping an idol fashioned after the bronze snake that Moses had made while the Israelites were wandering in the desert. To make matters worse, Assyria was oppressing the land and even threatened Jerusalem. But let's look at what Hezekiah does in verse 6. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands that the Lord had given to Moses. Did you catch that? Hezekiah trusted God and obeyed him, even when the rest of the world was turned against God. Brothers and sisters, this is how we want to model our lives. Let's dive in and see how God teaches us through Hezekiah to trust and obey. Now, as we mentioned previously, idolatry was rampant in Israel and Judah, pretty much from the death of Solomon all the way up to the exile. There were many different pagan cults at different times, but they all had a few things in common. None of these false religions were exclusive. In fact, the cultures encouraged worship of different deities to help with different problems. Further, each religion encouraged the people to model their worship of the one true God after false worship of idols. The children of Israel were worshiping in whichever way seemed best to them at whatever place is convenient, rather than following the law as given through Moses. And even though it might look different, we still see idolatry like this today, right? I mean, we don't worship Asherah or Moloch or Baal, but if we want something we can't afford, we might worship money. Or maybe if we're lonely, we'll worship a relationship. Other times, when we're uneasy, we worship comfort. But if you've been here during our Exodus series, you'll know that this is a big no-no. Now, what's our first commandment? We are to have no other gods before him. We are to trust God for all that we need and to obey his commands. We are not to follow the example of Jeroboam, who led the northern kingdom into idolatry just after the death of Solomon. And we're certainly not to follow the example of Judah, which, as we see in 1 Kings 14, joined him without hesitation. Jeroboam, king of Israel, made idols for the people at Bethel and Dan. And Rehoboam, son of Solomon, permitted Judah to make high places and Asherah poles. Now, you might say, where's the outrage against all this idolatry? I mean, Judah even had good kings, right? And, you know, that's, that's true. Um, the Bible mentions several good kings of Judah. Uh, in fact, Joash, Amaziah, Azariah, and Jotham are all described as doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But brothers and sisters, this is insufficient. There's a phrase repeated over and over in First and Second Kings, and it's used to characterize each of these men. Let me read it for you from the account of Joash in Second Kings 12. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. You see, we can trace this path of idolatry and partial devotion all the way from the death of Solomon over here through the generations 
to the exile. God plus anything else is insufficient. Full devotion is required. Obedience is necessary. Let me remind you now that most people we see in the Bible are mirrors for reflection, not forms to follow. So now we set the stage, and onto it walks Hezekiah. Same age as me, he gets put in charge of a country. And what's his first act as king? Well, full obedience to God. Unlike those other kings who did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not completely, Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Second Chronicles chapters 30 and 31 tell this story in more detail. Hezekiah brings the people of Judah and Israel together to celebrate the Passover corporately for the first time since the death of Solomon. At the conclusion of the festival, the king encourages the people, and they go throughout Judah, Benjamin, and all of Israel, destroying high places, sacred stones, Asherah poles, and all manner of idolatrous symbols. And what do we learn from this? Well, we learn that we are to do the same, right? This is spiritual warfare, and the Bible tells us in uh, Ephesians 6 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In this case, spiritual warfare meant a scorched earth campaign against the destruction of idol worship. But it's not always that literal, right? Sometimes spiritual warfare means obeying God and forgiving that person who's just driving you nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Other times, it's as simple as consistent, faithful prayer for those in your life who don't know Jesus. For Hezekiah, this warfare was just as literal as it was spiritual. Fourteen years into Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, surrounded Jerusalem. Now, we don't know how big his army was, probably hundreds of thousands, but it was substantial. Assyria had conquered numerous other countries in the area, including the northern kingdom of Israel. So the Assyrian army is camped outside of Jerusalem, right? They're doing their thing, preparing for a siege, and Hezekiah gets this letter. And what does he do? Well, he reads it, and Sennacherib is boasting. He says, don't let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. He says, surely you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all, all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my forefathers deliver them? Now, he goes on to list some specifics, but I think we get the gist, right? Sennacherib is saying, don't trust God. Don't you see all this stuff that we've done? You know, it's pretty bad. Pretty dire situation. But let's take a look at how we are to respond with this, when we're faced with a situation where the odds are insurmountable. Verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Did you catch that? Hezekiah doesn't receive the letter and start worrying. He doesn't get it and sell a bunch of stuff and go hire the fanciest lawyers to go beat this guy in court. And certainly he doesn't 
foolishly go out there and throw his life away in some sort of ill-fated attempt at retaliation. No. What does Hezekiah do? He takes the letter, he goes to the temple, he spreads it out, and he prays. And he prays, It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown down their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hands, so that all the kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. So what happens next? Well, God was faithful to Hezekiah, and God is faithful to us. God prophesied the downfall of Assyria, and that very night, the angel of the Lord goes out and strikes down 185,000 men of the Assyrian army. The next morning, Sennacherib, the king, wakes up, he sees the devastation, and he withdraws, leaving Jerusalem free. Now, does this mean that if we pray and trust God that all of our problems are going to go away? If I said yes to that, I'd be lying to you. In truth, the Christian life is hard. It's not easy. But God is faithful. We read on. Oh, no, we don't read on. <laughs> Let's see what he says about the Assyrian army and what he says about the trials we face. 2 Kings 19.25. Have you not heard? Long ago I ordained it. In the days of old I planned it, and now I have brought it to pass, that you, speaking about Assyria, have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. You see, God is the ultimate goal setter. God is the ultimate planner. When he decrees something, it will come to pass, and there's nothing that you or I or anybody else in the whole earth can do about it. Yeah, amen. <laughs> but what has God planned for us? Well, in a couple minutes, Paul's going to tell us a little bit more about that. But for now, if you know Christ, we have one statement of that. One very clear statement of that. Those that God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he, speaking about Jesus, might be firstborn among many brothers. Through Christ's death and resurrection, God has taken us out of our Egypt. But there's still work to do to take Egypt out of us. To this end, he ordains all circumstances for his glory and our good. So, if you're driving in your car and you hit a mailbox, it's for his glory and our good. Yeah. If you fall, break an ankle, and have to have major surgery, it's for his glory and our good. And when somebody overlooks you for that promotion, trust God, because it's for his glory and our good. And when God says to trust him, it's not without reason. This very same God is sovereign over everything. And he's the only one who's sovereign. So give him your full devotion. He alone is worthy. Hear, O Israel, and hear, O church. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Don't give in to complacency. Instead, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race mark out for us. Now, what are we holding before God? Is it porn? Throw off the porn. Is it comfort? Throw it off. Be uncomfortable for God. Is it money? No one can serve two masters. Either we'll love the one and hate the other, or we'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
We cannot serve both God and money. And this is true for any idol in our lives. We can either love God or we can love our idols. Now, this is where we'll end today, but remember this. Hezekiah's life shows us the importance of full devotion to God. It's not enough to have God plus. Will you obey God completely and rid your life of idols today? Hezekiah recognized God's sovereignty over all aspects of life. It doesn't matter if you're facing an army or just a work day. God is sovereign and he is trustworthy. Will you trust him? Let's follow the example of Hezekiah. Let's trust and obey. So, where do we go from here? Well, if you're not a follower of Christ, that's easy. Follow him, right? Um, Romans tells us that before we knew Christ, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. But Christ died to wipe those away. All you have to do is trust Jesus as your Savior. And just let me say, if that's you, if today is the day where you've decided to follow Christ, or if you just want to know more, please don't keep that to yourself. You can talk to any of us preaching today or Pastor Reg or someone else that you trust after the service. We'd love to rejoice with you and welcome you into the trust and obedience of God. Now, if you're already a follower of Christ, I have just two next steps for you today. First, whatever you're worried about, whether it's work or health issues or family troubles, trust that God alone is sovereign over that. Trust that God is somehow using it to make you more like Christ. And let me just acknowledge, this is really hard, right? But it's what God commands us to do. And it brings life and peace when we recognize that he is in control and cast our cares upon him. And our second next step is much like it. So first, we trust that God is in control and we obey all of his commands. And secondly, we obey all of his commands. Fortunately, God's commands are not burdensome. Rather, when we follow them, we flourish. All right, one more time. We trust God, and we obey him completely. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy with Jesus than to trust and obey. As I close, I just have one more thought for you. The consequences for disobedience and lack of trust are much more difficult than actions of total obedience and total trust. If you don't believe me, Ask Jonah how he got in the belly of that fish. All right, let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for being here with us this morning and continuing to teach us more about you. Um, Father, I ask that you um, open all of our hearts to see uh, our idols in our lives and give us the power and the desire to put them down and throw them off. Lord, I pray that you'll also show us those places where we're not trusting that you're in control and give us a heart of surrender. I ask that you do all this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you, Zach. Hey, man, I could have listened to him for longer. Could you? <laughs> right. Uh, but we have left time for our second man here, Paul Hostetter, another man who has taught my kids much about the Bible, uh, served as our children's ministry director here for a number of years, and has, is broadening to uh, go back to one of his loves of music here and, um, and continues to teach in children's ministry. And today, 
um, is going to preach right now. Uh, Paul is a man of exceptional, strong, godly character, so much so that he would not like to hear me say that. Um, he's also a humble guy, too. Um, he's got a strong message for us from the Word today. Paul, come up and bless us. Let's bless him with a, a welcome. It is a great honor to be here up in front of you today, and thank you, Pastor Edge, for this privilege. I grew up as a preacher's kid. I don't know if you knew that or not. And my brother is also a, a, a retired pastor. And I've thought about what it would be like to be up here preaching and teaching. And uh, of course, I've thought about many other careers. I've thought about being a paleontologist, of all things, a band director, a truck driver, um, a church music director, a doctor, a children's ministry director. That's a big shock. Uh, a restaurant owner and many other things. And those are all valid options. But the point is, I spent a lot of time as a young man agonizing over what I thought God wanted me to do with my life. And I had this idea that only one of them was the right one, and I had to figure it out. And I, there was, I felt a lot of pressure there. Um, have you ever thought about that? What does God want me to do? And, and have the pressure of trying to figure out what that is. What's God's will for you? Well, I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is I'm not here to make decisions for you. The good news is, is this. There is freedom to choose the path of your life. Remember the theme of the Exodus series that Pastor Edge is taking us through, moving the world to freedom? Now, we have... We've learned about the 613 laws that Jews were to follow, and that's a lot of laws to follow. So they were narrowed down to 10 commandments, right? And God obviously thought enough of them, about them that, um, you know, he wrote them in stone, right? So that they wouldn't get lost. Um, sometime later in the book of Micah, in chapter 6, verse 8, the author tells us three things are required of you. To do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Moving ahead 730 years, Jesus whittles things down to two things. I think you all know these. Love God, love others. Approximately 60 years later, John is the only apostle left. And he's the old man of the church. And he considers the church his children. And with that in mind, John writes these things in his first letter. Walk in the light as God is in the light. Two, keep his commandments and confess our sin when we don't. Three, we are to love people but not the world. And four, beware of false prophets. Do you see how God is showing his priorities? We have gone from 613 to 10 to 3 down to 2. And I intend to show you today that God, through John, brings, down, brings things down to a laser focus of one point. One key thing to remember when life, when living life in such a way that pleases God. So now that we know some of the context and background pertaining to the passage, let's look at the idea that Pastor Edge has been pointing to, living in freedom. If you look at our own system of laws here in the United States, um, we are a people who are free. We have the God-given right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But as you all know, we can't just do anything that we want. Our rights are limited by the rights of others. 
So my right to the pursuit of happiness is limited to Sean's right of pursuit of happiness because if I see something that Sean owns and I take it, I'm infringing on his rights, so therefore no stealing. A very key aspect to this story, and it is something that Pastor Reg has been hinting at, is that the law was given to the Jews so that they could know how they should live. If you know what isn't acceptable and you know what is acceptable, you can live in freedom. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And that brings the question, how should we live in light of this? John wants us to live with love and without fear. I remember as a child not understanding the concept of the fear of God. I thought they were saying that we should be afraid that he was going to hurt us if we did something wrong. I thought, why would he do that? He loves us, right? The idea of being afraid of God didn't make sense to me. And I was, I was right and wrong, of course. We are to fear God in the sense of awe and respect. God is omnipotent, omnipresent, all-knowing, perfect, righteous, holy, and so much more. We should fear God because the Bible says that that is the beginning of wisdom. Fear meaning respect and reverence. But John is saying that believers in, in Jesus should not, should not fear God in respect to punishment, judgment, or condemnation. Remember in Romans, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is with this attitude that we can realize that we can choose to live our life without fear. I remember the day I became a Christian. Outwardly, I wasn't much different, but inside, I felt clean, lighter, bouncy. I was forgiven. There was no guiltiness in me, only joy. Remember the story of the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears in her hair? It was in Luke chapter 7. She was overcome by gratitude and love because she had been forgiven, and Jesus first showed her what love truly was. Just as that woman expresses love to Jesus by washing his feet, we are to express love to Jesus by washing others' feet. And I'm not just talking about going to communion either. I am talking about going to a farm on a 90-degree day and do farm work for a farmer who, that hurt his shoulder. Thank you for that, by the way. That was awesome. I am talking about helping feed the homeless at Fellowship Mission or giving to a mission that rescues children caught up in slavery. There are so many opportunities in the world, and no one person can, do, can address them all. But all of us should address at least one. So, if verse 18 and 19 tell us about the love we are to live out, verse 20 shows us the opposite. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he... He who, sorry, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So that brings us to our second point. John wants us to live with love and without hate. First point, God want, John wants us to live with love and without fear. Second point, John wants us to live with love and without hate. 
Instead, he wants us to live with courage and a willingness to sacrifice for others. What is that primary focus? Let's look at verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So point three is John wants us to prove our love for God by loving others. You might be saying, wait a minute, your main point is about love. Well, that's not what the verse says. How did you get to that? Well, I'm glad you asked. The verse literally says, keeping his commandments is how we show our love for God. Let's look again at what those commandments are. Remember the first two, the two great commandments? Love God, love others. Our focus is to love. It is clear that our job description as Christians is to love each other. You've heard the song, they will know we are Christians by our love. No matter what career we take, love is the primary task on our job description. And I believe that this love should extend to people, to all people and not just family. Finally, the last phrase, and his commandments are not burdensome. There is a burden, mind you, but the burden is light. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You might be thinking, Paul, I thought you were going to tell us what our career path was supposed to be. Sorry, I'm not going to do that. Our job as Christians is to love God, love others, obey his commandments, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. To the best of my understanding and study, that is the outline. Those are the parameters. There once was a woman with six children. She had just fed her kids lunch, and the kitchen was a mess. Wanting, to, wanting things to, clean, to get cleaned up and, and we have the children out from underfoot, she said, kids, go out to the backyard and play. Stay in the yard. Your friends can join you, but you cannot leave. Go have fun. I'll call you back in a little bit for a snack. In a very simple, simplistic way, this is how I perceive God's will for all of us. We have been sent out to the backyard of our life, and God gives us some parameters. And see, this, this is our backyard here. This is um, a backyard that is frequented by six kids, I know, because I know, the I know the family. I want you to picture the fence around that backyard. One fence is love God. One, one fence is love others. One fence is obey. And one fence is be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're inside that yard, you're in God's will. Notice that at no point does mom say, I want you to play a certain game. One child loves to play hopscotch. One loves to play basketball. Another is in the sand. One's in a tree. And all are in God's will. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So, just to rehash First point, John wants us to live with love and without fear. Second point, John wants to live with love and without hate. Three, John wants to love our brothers and sisters. Four, John wants us to prove our love for God by loving others. Number five, 
John wants us to be Christ's ambassadors. How many of you have met missionaries that um, are out in the world and they're in a country that hates Christians? But they go there anyway, they get a job, they're out in the community, they're, they're living lives with people that don't know they're Christians, or maybe they do, but they're, they, they've been sharing with them. But when they leave, they go to their jobs during the day, and then they go out and, and work their second job. They're a missionary. And I want, I, my idea for you today is that we are to be the same. We have our day job, and then we have our, our, our job as a missionary or as an ambassador. We are to represent Christ out into the world. We, all of us, are to represent Christ to the world. We are his ambassadors. Again, God doesn't tell us what our good works are. He gives us the freedom to go and find those good works in whatever field we choose. That choice may be in ministry or in a meat market. You might be a pastor or a politician. You might work in childcare or forestry. There is a false idea that ministry careers are holy and all other jobs are less important, and that is a lie. I am convinced of this, that we are all in ministry, no matter what job we make our career. We are all ambassadors of Christ. So in whatever way God has gifted you, enabled you, and given you talent, to those, uh, use those to glorify God and represent God by loving others in such a way that it amazes them and they glorify God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your love, for your forgiveness, and for the tasks that you've given us and set before us to do good works in order to show your love for them. God, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit as you um, send us out. Give us strength to do what we need to do and give us the words that we need to say. Pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen.